Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who is charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we looked at the testimony of Washington Township Police Officer Jason Hensley, who was among the early responders to the 911 call reporting a shooting at the Barrison Farm. On today's installment, we hear from the state's final witness, Edward David, an attorney who was on the phone with Lauren Kanarek at the moment when she was shot. That's all coming up right after the break. 1 size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It is late morning on April 4th, 2022, and prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn calls his final witness to the stand. Edward David appears to be in his 60s. His hair is graying with the hairline receding high on his forehead. He sports a thin beard and brown rimmed glasses, and wears a dark blue zip-up sweatshirt over a blue button-down shirt. Prosecutor Shellhorn begins the questioning. Mr. David, can you please introduce yourself to the jury and tell them what you do for a living? Uh, my name is Edward David. I am an attorney. I practice law in the state of New Jersey, and I've been doing that for 40 years. I basically do civil litigation and um, corporate and commercial transaction work. Do you know Lauren Kanarek? I do. Do you know Robert Goodwin? I do. I'm not going to ask you any specifics about it, but did you have involvement with them arising from a tenancy dispute in August of 2019? I did. I want to specifically direct your attention to the afternoon of August 7th, 2019. Do you recall if you had a phone call with one or both of them that afternoon? I do. Do you recall or can you describe to the jury of what you recall about how that phone call began? Parenthetically, it was one of the wildest phone calls I've ever had in my entire career. Understood. Just answer the prosecutor's question, please. I will. I, I thought it needed some context. I had been representing Lauren for a little over 24, 48 hours in connection with a tenancy issue that she had. And um, I had called, I guess, Robert's cell phone around 2.15, 2.10, something like that, to speak to Lauren. I think I tried her cell phone just to talk to her. She was my client, but I couldn't get her, so I called Robert's cell phone to just give her an update on where we were in negotiations with Mr. Barrison's attorney. Where, perhaps not specifically, but generally, where were you when you made that phone call? I was in a car driving on Route 280 in, in or around West Orange, New Jersey. Do you recall uh, what area of the state you were coming from at that time? Probably the courthouse in Newark. That's my guess. Going back to my office at that time was at either Becker Farm Road or Eisenhower Parkway in Roseland. Did the call go through? 
Yes, I, uh, the call went through, I spoke to Robert. And at some point uh, during the course of that conversation, did you end up speaking with Ms. Kenrick? Yes. At that point, were you able to hear anything in the background? Yes, so what happened was, if, if I can explain. Please do. What, what happened was, I called Robert and I said to Robert. Objection. What's the base for the objection? What he well, what, what he says, not what Robert Goodwin says. He's saying what, what he did, what, he's, what he said to, to Mr. Goodwin over the phone. Correct. You're not eliciting what Mr. Goodwin said, are you? Not at this point, no, Judge. No, that would be hearsay. So just tell us not, not what Robert Goodwin said in response, but just what, what you told uh, Mr. Goodwin over the phone. Okay. I basically said to Robert, can I speak to Lauren? And he put Lauren on the phone. And... I start to talk to her. I don't recall specifically how long it was before I heard her say, oh, my God, there's Barrison. He's got a gun or something like that. And then I heard what I thought were gunshots. And I said, Lauren, 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 are you okay? Um, he sh I, I believe she said something like he shot me in the heart or the chest. And then I heard the phone drop and... I was obviously in shock, and um, I recall you know, we were disconnected or, or I couldn't hear anything, so I disconnected the call. Um, I, I didn't know if it was real or not real. I mean, that's a bizarre thing to encounter when you're riding in your car, just expecting to speak to your client about a tenancy issue. Anyway, so at that point, I called her back, or I called Rob's cell phone back. Nobody answered. And uh, then I pulled over the car and tried to get a hold of somebody to tell them what I thought had happened. You indicated that you thought that you heard bang or bangs? Yes. Do you recall approximately how many bangs you heard? Two. I recall specifically I heard two. Do you recall what you heard after hearing those bangs? Yeah. It was, oh my God, I've been shot in the chest or I've sh maybe it was I've been shot in the heart. And I remember just yelling, Lauren, Lauren, are you okay? Are you okay? What's going on? And I think that's it. Now, you said that you, at that point, wanted to make an attempt to let somebody know. Uh, did you call 911 at that point? Yeah. I learned something that day. When you are out of a particular area and you dial 911, you get the local emergency person from that cell tower. So I dialed 911, and I got, I think, the West Orange police department. And so, well, that didn't work because I said, I think there was a shooting somewhere in Washington Township. And uh, they said, well, we, we can't help you. We're the West Orange police. So I hung up. Um, you want me to go through all this? Yeah. And then what did you do next? Okay. So, so then I started thinking, I pulled over because now I'm, I'm, I'm a little flustered. I pulled over and I, I, I thought to myself, well, where is Lauren? And I knew she was on the farm. I had forgotten Mr. Barrison's name and I called Washington Town. I Googled, I had pulled out my phone, I Googled Washington Township. Of course, I got the wrong Washington Township. There were two or three of them in the state. Finally got a hold of the correct Washington Township, Morris County, I believe, and I told them what I knew. They said, well, which farm? I said, you know, I don't know the name of the farm, but I know that there had been incidents there before and they said, oh, the Barrison farm. I said, yes, that was it. And uh, they said, I believe they said that we're aware of something and we're sending a unit out already. I believe that's what happened. No further questions, Your Honor. Judge Stephen Taylor invites defense attorney Edward Belinkus to cross-examine the witness. 
Mr. David, uh, you basically knew Lauren Canarac for a day prior to this incident, correct? A day or two, yes. And uh, did, did you ever meet with her? I did. Uh, you met with her on the 6th, correct? I, I recall meeting with her. I couldn't tell you the date. The day before the shooting, perhaps? I believe so, yes. And, and is that the first time that you ever met with Lauren Canarac? Person to person, yes. Had you talked to her on the phone prior to that? I believe I had. How many times? I don't recall. Uh, who retained you? Well, Lauren was my client, but I believe her father, John, made the connection. Was Robert Goodwin a client of yours? No, I don't believe so. On that day, on the 6th, were you aware that Robert Goodwin tape recorded your entire meeting on that day? I was not aware of that at the time, no. Are you aware of that now? I am aware of that now. Did, did the prosecutor give you a copy of the transcript of the meeting on August 6th? The meeting between Lauren and I? No. I've never seen it, nor do I know the content of it. Now, on the 6th, correct me if I'm wrong, it was you, Lauren Cataract, Robert Goodwin, and Lauren Cataract's father, correct? I don't recall Robert Goodwin being there, but if you say he was, I wouldn't dispute it. It's possible. Were you informed at any point that they were recording private conversations during that meeting? Judge, I'm going to object that this is beyond the scope of the direct examination. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. After considering the prosecution's objection to Edward Belinkus's questions regarding the witness's discussions with the alleged victim about recording private conversations, Judge Stephen Taylor offers a tentative ruling. All right, the objection's overruled. Go ahead, Mr. Belinkus. Sir... You had a meeting with Lauren Canarac and her father the day before the shooting, correct? Yes. And, and isn't it a fact that during that meeting, for the first time, you were praised that recordings were being made of private conversations? No, that is not true. What were you appraised of with regards to private conversations? Nothing. Let me rephrase that. Nothing that I recall. Before we get into this, can, can we go to the sidebar again? Sure. 
After the sidebar, Judge Taylor informs the jury that he must conduct a 104 hearing to determine whether the witness, Mr. David, is qualified to testify regarding a particular issue, a privilege exists, or evidence is admissible, and asks them to return to the jury room until the hearing is completed. Like the jury, recording equipment is excluded from the hearing, and after a brief interruption, the recordings resume and Judge Taylor calls the court back into session, and seems to reverse his earlier ruling that Belinkus could ask questions about the recording of private conversations. All right, be seated, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry for the delay. I did conduct that 104 hearing with regard to the evidence, and the court did determine that the evidence was not admissible. Go ahead, Mr. Belinkus. Mr. David, before we broke, you indicated that you have no recollection of discussing Roy Cataract tape recording Michael Barrasone or others during your meeting, correct? That's correct. Now, you called 911, correct? I did. You gave a statement to the Morris County Prosecutor's Office on September 16, 2019. Do you recall that? I do. And can I assume that you reviewed that with the prosecutor? No, you cannot assume that. Did you get a copy of it? I did not. Now, after you heard whatever you heard on the telephone, did you make notes of that conversation? Well, after the fact, I was in a car when it happened. So I did not take notes, and I didn't get back to my office till later that day. And can I assume that later that day, after going through something like this, as a lawyer, you wrote down everything that you remembered in case someone would want to question you about this. I know I did it, I can't tell you when. You can't tell me whether it was the same day or some days after, correct? It was within, my guess, is, and it's pure guess, within 24 hours, maybe 36 hours, okay. something I wouldn't forget. I, I mean, it, it, the, the whole thing lasted a minute or two. Okay, well. Our conversation, understand, was pretty one-sided and it happened over the course of 10 or 15 seconds. There wasn't much to remember, but I remember writing down everything she said. Okay. Right, everything I, I could remember. Right. So within 24 hours, your best estimate, you write down everything that you specifically recall with regards to this conversation, correct? Yes. Did you give those notes to the prosecutor's office? I did. Do you recall telling the prosecutor's office in your official statement that you destroyed the original notes? No, but I likely did. Oh, well, I'm certain I did. Okay, didn't you just say you gave those original notes to the Morris County Prosecutor's Office? No, you just said that, and I agreed. I, if you allow me to rephrase it, I gave them a copy of the notes. The originals, understand my office is a green office. I don't keep hard copies of anything. As soon as I have a document, even one that I've prepared, I scan it into the computer and destroy it. I don't have the capacity to keep 40 years of records in an office. So I do not keep an original of anything. So that is, for all intents and purposes, as the courts of this state have recognized, appropriate. I'm going to show you D-1200-D. Okay. Do you recognize that? I do. Are these notes that you drafted regarding this incident? They are. Are these the notes you just testified you put down approximately 24 hours or so after the incident? Yes, but I signed it apparently much later. When did you sign it? Apparently much later. When did you sign it? It is dated September 16, 2019. 
Does that refresh your recollection that you signed it on, on that day in September? I just said I did, but there's a reason for that. If you'd like me to explain it, I'm happy to do that. Okay. Uh, what day did you give your statement to the prosecutor's office? I don't recall. I show you a copy of your statement, D-1200C, and ask you if this refreshes your recollection as to when you talked to the prosecutor regarding this specific instance. Yes. Okay. And what day did you talk to the prosecutor's office? September 16, 2019. And that's why I signed it this day, because I sent this to them, I assume, on this date. But I scanned it into my computer, and I, I could probably dig up the date of the scan at or around the time that I wrote it, because that is what I do 100% of the time. I take notes. I scan it into my computer. I didn't think I had to date the notes. But when I spoke to the prosecutor's office and they wanted a copy of it, I signed it, I dated it, and I put the time. Now, That's what I recall. Anyway. Now, Prior to this incident, you had a number of conversations with Michael Barrison's lawyer, Stephen Tarshish, correct? Prior to when? Prior to the shooting. Yes. And was it your impression that he and you were in the process of working out Lauren Cataract leaving the property? We were working out a settlement of the dispute. One of the issues that we needed to resolve was if and when Lauren would leave the property. You also mentioned something about uh, Facebook posts. Prior to that meeting, had you received some of Warren Cataract's Facebook posts? Judge, I'm going to again object that this is beyond the scope of the direct examination. It is somewhat beyond the scope, Mr. Belenkis. All right. Now, on the day of the incident, did you call Rob Goodwin or did he call you? I believe I called him. Do you recall telling the police in your official statement that you're not sure whether you reached out to Lauren or whether Rob called you. I don't specifically recall that, but understand I was in somewhat of an extremist. I had just been on the telephone when I heard gunshots and my client telling me she's been shot in the chest. I wasn't exactly focusing on who called whom at that very moment. Well, you were very definitive in court today with regards to who called who, correct? Correct. And would you agree with me on page seven? Yeah, I either reached out to Lauren or Rob called me. Okay, well, that's different than your definitive answer that you gave on direct. Well, correct? I would assume you have the copies of the telephone records that would determine who called whom, right? I mean, how hard is that to get? Not hard at all, but I'm okay. asking All right, all right. hold on a second. I'm getting a little argumentative here. Just answer the questions. If there's any follow-up, Mr. Shellhorn can ask you questions. I have thought about it, and of course I called Rob. So if I said at this moment when I was in extremis that I didn't recall whether I called him or he called her, that wasn't the first thing on my mind. The first thing on my mind was reporting that my client's been shot by your client. So... That's what really was important to me at that moment, not who called whom. Okay. Do you remember telling the prosecutor that I think I reached out to him, but I couldn't swear, correct? Uh, I don't recall that. If it's in the transcript, I assume I said. Again, in extremis. Right. Now, irrespective of who called who, you're talking to Rob Goodwin, correct? Correct. And, and what did you say to Rob Goodwin? Rob, can I speak to Lauren? And Lauren's the one who's in control of everything, correct? Based on your I don't know what that means. Her. 
Lauren was my client, so I was calling to speak to Lauren. Did you say to the prosecutor's office words to the effect that if you get to know Rob, you'll know that Lauren was the one who actually was really handling this? Yeah. Make a statement like that? I, I certainly could have. Lauren was going to make the decision. She was my client. You're talking to Rob, and at, at what point, point? At what point? When you first got on the phone, you were talking to Rob Goodwin, correct? I said four words to him. Okay. And then the phone was put in Lauren's hand, correct? Correct. Do you recall Rob yelling in the background or speaking loudly, either one? Specifically, no. I guess you turn to page nine, the sixth edit from the top. Can you read it and, re and see if that refreshes your recollection as to after you were talking to Lauren Canerac, you heard Rob yelling in the background or talking loudly. Yeah, I, I, I see that. And then could you go down one, two, three more eds, and then did you say, or what? do you recall, strike them. Yeah, the, did it, you, you're refreshing did his you, recollection. Do you recall hearing a gunshot at that point? I recall hearing a gunshot after Lauren or Michael, could have been Michael, said, there's Barrison. Who's Michael? Robert, I'm sorry, saying, there's Barrison. Because I was calling to speak to Lauren to tell her we had made headway in the resolution. It was, it was supposed to be a good phone call. And the next thing I knew, oh my God, I've been shot in the heart, something like that. Okay, but again, be, before the shooting, isn't it a fact that in your original statement, you told the prosecutor that you heard Rob in the background yelling or speaking loudly before the shot? Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what it says, so I assume I said it. Is it at that point that you heard what you now know is a gunshot? Yeah, yeah. And what do you mean by what I now know was a gunshot? Well, when I heard it, as I'm sure anybody can imagine, I, I am not familiar with gunshots at all. I heard what I thought was a gunshot, and Lauren saying, oh, my God, I've been shot in the heart but you kind of don't believe it. How could that how, how could that possibly be? I've since learned, of course, you know, a few hours later that it was a gunshot. And who told you that? Maybe the Washington Township Police Department. Did you have a discussion with them with regards to this incident? I was trying to get somebody on the phone. It, it actually may have been, and I uh, no recollection of who told me, but I reached out to John and Kirby Canarac, Lauren's parents. I reached out to the Washington Township Police Department. Somebody told me that Lauren Canerac had been shot. Okay. I don't know if all of them told me. I know I spoke to all of them at some point within that, that gestalt, but I don't, couldn't tell you definitively who told me that Lauren actually had been shot. Do you recall telling the prosecutor's office that when you heard whatever you heard, you didn't think gunshot? No, that, uh, I, I, I don't recall saying it, but I'm certain that that's what happened because you don't believe gunshot. I'm driving up 280 trying to speak to my client. That's all. So, so imagine how out of, out of worldly it would be to hear what you think are gunshots, but you just don't believe it. And I just didn't, you know, you don't want to believe it, but I believed it enough to call 911 right away. So something inside me must have said to yourself, this could be real. Or 
either that, and correct me if I'm wrong, or Lauren Canarak saying that she was shot. Well, we know Lauren was shot. So, well, how so, do you know Lauren is shot at that point? At that very moment? Because she told me she was shot. Okay, and did you tell the prosecutor that you did not think gunshot when you gave your statement? Yes or no? Belinkus again uses the transcript of Mr. David's conversation with prosecutors to refresh his recollection. As I explained to you before, when something so out of context occurs, you don't immediately go to something that in your wildest imagination could occur, right? If it, if, if it has stripes and hooves, you think zebra, right? I wasn't thinking gunshot. There, there, there was no reason to think gunshot, but obviously I must have because I called 911. Do you recall telling anyone that the noise that you heard sounded like something heavy dropping? No, I don't think I ever told anybody that. At that point, after you hear whatever you hear, did you say the phone dropped at that point? Yes. And, and was that immediately after you hearing whatever you heard? No. When was that? Maybe 10 seconds later. After seconds. she said, I've been shot in the heart, something, to, words to that effect, then I'm saying, Lauren, what's going on? What's Hello, hello. I heard what I thought was the phone dropping. Okay. And, and that's approximately 10 seconds after you hear what you hear, correct? 10, 15 seconds, yeah. And at that point, you hear scuffling, correct? Yes, but then I hung up. At some point in time, after you believed you heard the phone drop, did you hear someone pick up the phone? Again, Mr. David looks at the transcript of his conversation with prosecutors. Oh, so that's how it happened. Okay, that, that's possible. So when you say, let me ask you yeah. ask the mm -hmm. question. You say you heard what you thought the phone dropped, correct? Yes. Now, this refreshed my recollection. At some point in time, mm -hmm. did someone pick up that phone? I said here the phone must have been picked up. Okay, now let me ask you a question. That was after you heard whatever sound you heard, correct? Yes, that's for sure. I heard the sound first. And is that when, at that point, Lauren Canarak makes the statements she yes. made to you? Okay, yes. So that, you were incorrect on your previous... I, I, I stand corrected, yes. got to understand, this was four years ago, and I haven't looked at this in four years. Did she say, I'm losing consciousness? She might have. Can you look on page 11, four edge from the bottom, and see if that refreshes your recollection as to whether one of the things that Lauren Canarak said to you is, I'm losing consciousness. Yes, yeah, it does refresh my, my regular. And you recall her saying that, correct? Yes. Did the phone drop again after that statement? Well, I, I think so, because at some point I realized she wasn't on the other end of the phone any longer, and that's when I disconnected the call. And call. I believe I called her back or called Rob's phone again um, right away, and... Uh, didn't, there was nobody who picked up, and that's when I did, I guess I pulled over and decided to call 911. Now, based on your meetings, meeting, or contact with Lauren Kyra, did you get the impression that she wasn't afraid of Michael Barrison? No, I, I, I got the impression she was very afraid of Michael Barrison. Can you please turn to page 15, the fifth bed from the top, and see if that refreshes your recollection as to whether or not you got the impression 
that Lauren Canerac was not afraid of Michael Barrett. And yet again, Mr. David's memory is refreshed by the transcript of his conversation with prosecutors. Oh, at that very moment, yes, I got the, yeah, you, you know, you put that out of context. Lauren was afraid of Michael Barrison. At, the, at this particular period of time, after speaking with Mr. Tarshish and, and really making a significant headway in resolving this whole thing and de-escalating the situation, yeah, I, I think Lauren was not afraid of him at all. Not at that very moment, no. Right before the shooting, correct? Right before the shooting. Because the whole thing was being resolved. I, when you say the whole thing was going to be resolved, mm -hmm. you would never talk to Lauren Canerac prior to the shooting with respect to your conversations with Tarshish regarding resolving this case, correct? I don't recall. Isn't it, isn't it a fact that you called them on that day to apprise him of your conversation with Tarshish? I had called them on that day to apprise her of where we were at that particular moment in time. I had been on the phone with Tarshish since the day before trying to resolve this. Now, prior to this day, did you get the impression that the issues between Barrison and Canarac had been going on for uh, weeks, if not longer? Did I have that impression? Yes. Now, would you agree that what you were hearing traumatized you? Yes. And, and would you agree that that could have an impact on your recollection of events, correct? Uh, no. Incorrect. The fact that I heard gunshots is immutable. I heard gunshots. The fact that Lauren said, I've been shot in the chest is immutable. I heard that and it happened. No amount of trauma is going to change that. There are things that, which you reminded me of, there were other things that happened that I now recollect, but I will never, ever forget that moment in time. Did you have the impression that Michael Barrison's girlfriend was creating issues with Cataract and Barrison? I was, I was informed that that was the case prior to the shooting. Prosecutor Shellhorn indicates that he has just two points to review with Mr. David on redirect. Mr. David, for the record, that's been marked as S442. Directing your attention to lines eight, I believe it's lines eight and nine. Do you see okay. a phone number on those lines? Yes. And I'm not going to ask you to put your phone number on the record. I would not do that. But is that your phone number? Yes, it is. And is that my cell phone? Your cell phone. Yeah. Does that indicate? Uh, whether or not, and without telling us whether or not there was an incoming call or an outgoing call related to that number. I'm sorry, without telling you whether it was an incoming or outgoing? Just to look at it to refresh your memory. Yes, it refreshes my memory. Does that refresh your memory and does that confirm to you whether or not you made the call to Mr. Goodwin or you received the call? 100%. I, I made that call. I made one, two calls, actually three calls, which makes perfect sense. And can you explain to the jury, and I'll just take this back, what your recollection is about the three calls that you made? The first call, which appears to be four minutes, was my call to Rob to tell Lauren what's going on in the case and my discussions with Tarshish and when she got shot and yeah, whatever. The second call was after I disconnected the first call to see if she was okay. And my recollection is she didn't, or Rob didn't pick up. Um, and then I did it again because, you know, <laughs> you just keep on calling until, until you're sure somebody picks up or you're sure somebody's not going to pick up. And I guess after that call, after the third call, 
is when I called 911. Now, you were asked a question about the handwritten notes that I think were marked as D-1200-D when you had actually written those notes to yourself or written down what you recalled. Yes. And I think your answer on cross-examination was that you thought it might have been sometime in that first 24 hours or no more than 24 hours. Yes. Prosecutor Shellhorn shows Mr. David a copy of his notes. Does that refresh your memory reading that about approximately when you wrote the notes down respective to the, the incident occurring? Yes, and it jives with what I've been saying. I got back to my office, I wrote down the notes. It's my practice, I do it 100% of the time, not 99%, 100% of the time. I write down contemporaneous notes, scan them, and I believe throw out the original. This one I may have kept, I may not have, I don't have it, I don't know if I gave it to, to somebody from the prosecutor's office, I don't know. And approximately how far after the incident occurring did you write those notes down to yourself? Within an hour. I mean, right away. I signed it. I, I signed it, I believe, when we met, when I met with the investigator. Judge, no further questions. And with that, subject to new evidence, the state rests its case, and we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrisone. Join us on our next installment as the defense begins to call witnesses and present their case to the jury. If you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and the trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison.